Break It Down with Rick and Tim is also available to watch on YouTube. Oh, that was very bright and exciting and wonderful. It'll go great in there. I like it. And don't forget to check out our website. That's right. www.breakitdownwithrickandtim.com Now, before we begin, you may notice when we turn the cameras on that we have changed our set. It's now super professional and in a bedroom instead of the kitchen. I would like to call it a studio. What did I call it? Bedroom. Oh, well, it is a bedroom. <laughs> it's a studio. It is now a studio. <laughs> the camera, why are you looking at the camera? The camera's wrong. Oh, that's right. <laughs> It's now a studio. Okay, everybody, we have a brand new location. We do. We have left the kitchen. We are in the bedroom. The studio. The studio. We're big time now, Tim. That's right. We have a window that we can open and close. That's right. With sound padding. So you can't hear the dogs slurp their water. <laughs> Let's begin the show. Hi, my name is Rick. My name is Tim. And this is... Break It Down with Rick and Tim. What the hell's going on? It's a good question. I'm glad I'm Italian. I'm not white. You kind of are. <sighs> Why does it have to be the big chicken? <laughs> Why does it have to be the big chicken? Why do you have to say it like that? <laughs> I was right, and yes. you were racist. It's Britney, bitch. <laughs> I still have a belief that Sasquatch is out there, but that doesn't make me crazy. And you give me that face, and this is my issue with you. Mm. You're a questionable person. This is a podcast where Rick, a Generation Xer, and Tim, a millennial, come together and try to find answers to our changing world. Break it down with Rick and Tim. All right. Tonight's topic is critical race theory. That's right. CRT. The Great White Replacement. Mm. White fragility. White rage. That's a lot of white. Yeah. What the hell's going on? It's a good question. I'm glad I'm Italian. I'm not white. You kind of are. All right, fine. My mother's English. All right. Well, let's break it down in this episode with Rick and Tim. What is critical race theory? I think that's a good question to answer first. Oh, you're a teacher. Right. You teach at a private school. Right. It's not public. It is a private school. It is a private nonprofit. We do serve the public school children, though. And Students. we live in a blue state. We do. Have they given you any certain guidelines into what you can and cannot teach as a teacher? No, I can teach whatever I want at my school. No. I have full autonomy over my classroom, which is something that public school teachers do not have. So if you were teaching high school at a public uh-huh. high school... That would be different then. It would be different. There would be topics that I could talk about and topics that I'd have to kind of steer the conversation away from and be like, maybe you should talk to your parents about that or your adult, whoever that is. Wow. Yeah, it's rough. We're going to start off this highly controversial topic with let's quiz Tim. Oh, boy. All right, Tim. Tim. Rick. In what year did people of color get to start voting as Americans? 1970. Just 52 years ago? Not very long ago. <laughs> you mean to tell me Martin Luther King could not vote? 
You said 1970. 1870. 1870 now makes sense. It's been a long week at my job. I work at an alternative high school. What amendment gave black people the right to vote? The 15th Amendment. Very good. What day is Juneteenth? The 19th of June. Excellent. Honestly, that was the only one I really was confident in the answer to. Don't reveal that. You, Why? Because people are going to think you're smart. I know they're going to think I'm smart, but I also I want to point out to the fact that like that was not part of my like history. Oh, nor up. mine either. We, we talked about this before the show. Right, we did. Uh, we educated ourselves. My public high school experience from the 1980s to 1990, we talked about slavery. We talked about Abraham Lincoln, the Civil War, and then moving on, now it's World War One. So nothing about what happened in Galveston, Texas. Right. The Juneteenth holiday now, thank you, Joe Biden, commemorates an effective end of slavery in the United States. It's short for June 19th. Right. But you got in Let's Quiz Tim. I did. It marks the day when federal troops arrived in Galveston, Texas. What is wrong with you guys in Texas? What You guys are just... Ah. In 1865... To take control of the state and ensure that all enslaved people be freed. Slavery was abolished on January 1st, 1863, and it took two years for Texas to get off its ass? I was never taught that in high school and or grade school and or any school. I didn't know that. They had newspapers. They had trains. Two years. Wow. Right? Good old Texas never lets us down. Do you know the real story of Rosa Parks? Yes. She was tired, and she had worked a long day, and she sat on the bus in the front because that was the only available seat, and um, the rest is history. Uh, That is not the story of Rosa Parks. That is the story of Rosa Parks that we learned, but that is not the story of Rosa Parks. Did you know that? Oh, no. You had no idea? Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Five minutes. <laughs> real quick, for those of you who don't know the real story of Rosa Parks, it was a planned situation. What? It was. It who? was organized. Rosa Parks was not an old lady. She was in her 40s. And she wasn't sitting on the front of the bus. She was sitting right at the barrier between the front of the bus and the back of the bus, right in the middle. And she was sitting on a bench. And the rule was that if one white person decided to sit on that bench, all the black people had to get off that bench. And the bench has seated five people or so on and so forth about that. And so they found the right bus, timed it at the right time when they knew that it would be crowded and that somebody might ask them, ask her to move. And she said, yes, she was tired, but it's not tired, physically exhausted from work. It's tired of being asked to move on the bus. It was planned and organized by an organization. That started the boycott. It was planned. But I didn't learn that until just this year. Wow. I am 33. That is a piece of history that I was lied to about for so many years. I heard it from a black woman. 
Was she a teacher? What was yes, she? of sorts. She uh, was in our diversity training, and she was the best person for it. And she did an amazing job. Fake black history that way too many people believe, part three, the Rosa Parks edition. Number one, many people believe that Rosa Parks was tired and worn out after a long day's work, and that story is completely false. She said in her autobiography that she was not physically tired at all. She was just tired of giving in. I want to remind you that at one point, Trump outlawed that kind of training in the federal government. Now, Joe Biden came in and said, we're doing away with that restriction. Wow. So we got a little lucky there. But yeah, there's a whole history that i was just given a just a snippet of and that snippet was wrong history is written by the winners yes now imagine if african americans wrote our history it would be different we would know about juneteenth right and the other thing is and going back and i think i might have said this at one point but never got into it but the reality of it is is the reason why uh like we need to teach this. The reason why uh, we can't, as white people, decide that it's enough to just, you know, call it good is because we don't experience the systemic racism every day like these people do. Well, yeah, because like we, our, have, our the, communities we color, have the privilege right? of being white. Right. So saying that we're going to look at things from a colorless lens is almost a mockery to our communities of color because we're still treating them very poorly and that is evident in our data yes state of housing report right. crime report right back to the questions number three what are we on oh that was it but i also oh. wanted to talk about since we're talking about critical race theory book banning mm -hmm. according to the federal bureau of prisons i want you to guess numbers you're really good with numbers I tim pretty decent with yeah numbers. you, you don't even get me about how many feet to the mile and all that because yeah. <laughs> it's sure. embarrassing. Sure. What do you think, as of October of this year, what is the percentage of black inmates in our prisons compared to white inmates? So I'm going to say that I want to say that now you have to be careful here with these numbers because is it the percent ratio to like population or is it the percentage of prisoners in a prison? It's the prisoners in the prison. I want to say around like 30%. Oh my God, Tim, as of October of this year, there are 60,922 black inmates, 38.4. So a little like close and close to Very 40%. Good. Goodness gracious. It's whites, gone up. Whites. There's 91,313. Yeah. 57.6%. Yeah, but when you look at the population based on the 2020 census, which somebody we know did, right? who was a part of that. Uh, that was me. I did that. It was <laughs> very boring and very hot. Uh, Lost my mind. Right now, there's currently 231.9 million Caucasian people in our country. White people. Yes. Yeah. There are 41.6 million black people. Mm -hmm. Look at the numbers. That's insane. So for those viewers out there who don't understand those numbers, what we're saying here is that what percentage of the population in the United States is black? Now, we can do that, and I can give you a little stats lesson, or we can just take a pause real quick, run the numbers, and I can tell you exactly that number. 
What do you want to do? Well, here it says that um, nationally, one in 81 black adults in the United States is serving time in state prison. Right. Well, so let's look at this from just a, a percentage point of view. If they make up 30, almost 40% of the prison population, what percent of the United States population is black? And then how does that compare to the population that's black in prisons? It'll be very telling. Okay. So the United States, um, the population in the United States was what? Of blacks, 41.6 million, and whites, 231.9 million. So of the entire United States population, black people make up about 13.5%, roughly. Uh, And so compare that to the percent of the population in prisons. Now, in the perfect world, it would just be 13.6% because it should just flow back and forth. There should be as many black prisoners as there are white prisoners as their ratio is in the actual population but that's not the case it's nearly double well actually it is it's more than double it's double and a half wow which is insane which means that we as a community are not serving our communities of color we're imprisoning them right recently um joe biden is talking about making marijuana an offense that can be erased what's he talking about on the news he was talking about expunged like, so expunged. the war on crime and this goes back to democrats are no uh you know they don't have clean hands at all either um the war on drugs that was mainly designed to get the populations of color under control kind of well in a sense, because they targeted communities of color and they took marijuana and made it like one of the biggest felonies. And so it inadvertently or inadvertently, it, it what's the word? It, uh, it disproportionately affected communities of color because they were already over-policed and now they can say, okay, you have a little bit of marijuana on you, you're going to jail. Easy. So with this expunging these people's records right. from marijuana mm-hmm. in prison, the numbers are going to drastically drop. Yeah, I want to say that it's like over 50% of the people that are in our prison systems are in prison are because of me? like... 50, 50? I want to say, well, let's look it up. So when it says 45.2, now that that is all drug crime, but a big, big percent of that is marijuana. Probably half. Probably I half, probably more than half, although... Well, yeah, I would say probably more than half because, because marijuana is easier to get easier than to get. LSD and heroin and fentanyl and yeah, all the others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then there's also crystal meth, which is easily accessible now. Right. Well, and you have all these low-level offenders that are just in possession. They're not right. dealers. They're not you know people who are causing harm in the community necessarily. The United States has the highest record of incarceration in the entire world right we have the highest prison population oh my gosh Mm -hmm. this includes latinos native americans and asians Uh, asians have a very small number in our prisons 2296 1.4 percent that's clear to me that asians are not socioeconomically oppressed and challenged as people of color are you're right they aren't the numbers right there the data show right it's funny because but you have to understand too that that's that includes not just like china japan korea that includes like 
the Philippines, Indonesia, India, things of that nature. So when I show a graph of the housing... And we talked about this on the previous yeah, when episode. I show the graphs of the housing, when you scroll down, you'll get to uh, Asian households. And it's not like white households where it's all green. There's still some red there. And my students were like, I don't understand. I thought that the Asian people were doing much better because we were looking at other graphs and it showed, you know, the demographics of Asian Americans, then their wealth just going up, skyrocketing. I was like, well, you have to remember, like, we have a lot of Asian refugees here too, like... We had, you know, in the 60s, my father was working as a teacher in San Francisco, and he had a bunch of Cambodian refugees because of the war in Vietnam and the wars that were happening in Cambodia. So there's also another side to, you know, the Asian population that a lot of people don't think of. When you think of Asian population, you think of, you know, smart. Just this topic alone, talking about the numbers of people of color in our prison systems is taboo in the it education uh, of certain red states like Florida, Texas. Right. You see, Virginia. I wonder, I wonder if I were to show that chart in Florida, would I lose my job? Probably. If I explain yes. to this, because here's the, here's the reality of it. The reason I show my students that chart in my class, and I show it to them in a lot of my classes, some not, sometimes not even my statistics, statistics class, just because we get on the topic of race because it affects them all. Um, and I tell them, look, this is the example of what people are scared of and what people are scared of us teaching you. Here's systemic racism. Boom. In the chart. In the numbers. In our system of home ownership and renting in this case renting right um and i i asked my students what what is the american dream it's owning a house and the white and the picket fence really the american dream is owning property because that is where wealth is and wealth is then generated from that property and it's passed on through generations and so when we talk about systemic racism like when i talk about the gi bill i talk about when when black soldiers came back they were denied uh the housing vouchers for from the gi bill when they were building subdivisions and suburbia stuff out here around where we live the banks would only give loans to developers if they had it in their like development clause that they would only sell the houses to caucasian families if that isn't systematic i don't know what right and but that's the thing like are we supposed to stop teaching our students that that exists Are are we just not supposed to point it out the idea is to look at it from this colorless lens right and i don't quite understand how that works because we don't live in a colorless society well you know there's white fragility and we don't want to make our children feel guilty over something that happened 200 years ago well then how about we make them feel guilty about what we're doing to them now right now critical race theory isn't something new it's been around a while Mm mm-hmm and I have some history here. And when I say them, I mean our communities of color. I want to be clear. Right. <laughs> so the great white replacement theory was spread in 2011 by French author Renaud Camus. He stated, and I'm paraphrasing here, that French and white European populations are being demographically and culturally replaced by non-white peoples. In his book, Le Grand Replacement. Le it, Grand Replacement. Right. 
He associates the presence of Muslims in France with the danger and destruction of French culture and civilization. His words, genocide by substitution. Now, before him in 1973, another French author, Jean Raspail, wrote a novel titled The Camp of the Saints. It's an apocalyptic tale that attempts to depict the destruction of white Western society at the hands of mass immigration from the global south. His novel took hold among American white supremacist and anti-immigrant groups in the 1980s and 90s and remains a touchstone today for prominent anti-immigration hardliners such as Stephen Miller and Steve Bannon. Right. Feel the wall. Right. So we have this divide in the United States. What is the idea of the United States? Is it a place where we take everybody from anywhere? You're tired, you're whatever, you're huddled masses, things of that nature. I should know that line, but I don't because our education system in the United States is... Rocky Dingo! (laughs) You're Uh, teaching it. I know. I'm trying. I'm trying my best. The problem is that we're so under-resourced that it's impossible to teach. Our our Italian grandparents took advantage of that and came over on the boat. Right, they did. Yes. So we have this idea that the United States is this you know place where we have this freedom to to do what we want. But you have to understand that at the time, right? Who were these people looking for freedom? It was white people looking for freedom of religion. And so there's this idea that the United States is that white person's Jesus free to, 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 to praise God however you feel necessary, right? Freedom of religion. And we want to hold those values. And those values are questionable, but we want to conserve those values. Now, on the other hand, we have the idea that the United States is, uh, and this is this is this is my personal view, I suppose, but I think it, it's a view that other people might hold as well. Maybe not to the same extent that I do, but here we go. My view is that the United States is this place where anybody can come and be a United States citizen, and it shouldn't be that hard to do. From my perspective, if you are over here in the United States, congratulations, you're living the American dream. You're an American, right? Now... If you want to go through all the paperwork, you know, and and get the the, the documentation, great, and all that stuff, but it should be much easier, from my perspective. Well, yeah, and become naturalized. You take the test. You study. But, But the thing is, we also have to agree on some social norms. Now, the problem is, is that there's a concern, or it's not really a concern, it's a rallying cry from people who don't want, you know, things like... Islamic law to rule the United States, right? That was a big thing when Barack Obama was, you know, running for president. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Why do you think one in four think that he is a Muslim? Because of his actions, because his actions since he became president has been pandering to the Islamic world, apologizing to, uh, f- uh, on behalf of America to the Islamic world. What would, he, what would that even look like? I'm sure... We would wind it, 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 it. We wouldn't allow it to happen. It just wouldn't happen. Look what's happening in Iran. That's the yes. thing. There's too many people here that would say, "No, we're not going to have Islamic law. It just is not going to work." Because uh, it's the same rules I have in my classroom. I tell my students, "Look, you can do whatever you want as long as you don't violate the rights of anybody else." And that's really the rule. But then, on the flip side, there are a lot of people that are wanting Christian law. Christian right. nationalism, Marjorie Taylor Greene, sure. for example. Mm-hmm. And it's just as bad. If Look at what they're doing right now with Roe versus Wade with women. Right. Telling women what they can and cannot do with their bodies. Right. Just like what they do in Iran. Right. 
The thing that scares me about critical race theory and the white replacement theory is that we have these ultra MAGA white supremacist idiots embrace this and feed off each other's fear without any kind of an education whatsoever about the great replacement and blacks are now unnumbering the whites and et cetera, et cetera. The recent shootings, uh, El Paso in Walmart, 23 people died. The Buffalo, New York, uh, was it 10 people died? Something like that. 10 people died. In New Zealand, they have their trouble too. This is all over the world. It's It's not not just here. It's not the United States. Right. In New Zealand, uh, 51 people were killed and 40 were wounded by these crazed white supremacist freaks that think they're doing a service by killing random people because of the great replacement theory. So who are those people killing before it was just random people because white replacement theory? What was their target? Well, I would um, assume right now people of color. uh, Abortion clinics. That's right. I remember back in the 90s. I remember back in the 90s um, an abortion doctor was killed and people were wanting to blow up and bomb Planned Parenthood. And I remember that. Yes. They lost their rallying cry. It's no longer about abortion anymore because they kind of screwed the pooch on that. And now it's about critical race theory and the white replacement theory. So now they have a new rallying cry and they have all these crazies that are like, great, I can be the one to solve this problem. Do you remember uh, in 2017 in Charlottesville, the riots between Black Lives Matter, the shirt that I'm wearing, versus the white supremacists? And they were made famous by the Tiki Torches. Right. They were they were chanting, you will not replace us and Jews will not replace us, which President Trump then said there are fine people on both sides. Right. You also had people that were very fine people on both sides. Wow. Wow. Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram from Fox News have perpetuated this uh, white replacement theory on their television shows. Right. And have, I think, thrown fuel on the fire. Well, and Tucker Carlson even, you know, mocked people for getting angry at his white replacement theory, saying that they were calling him racist. And he's like, I'm just pointing out that we're not And he did his little, you know, I'm a little weasel kind of dance. I know that the left and all the little gatekeepers on Twitter become literally hysterical if you use the term replacement. If you suggest that the Democratic Party is trying to replace the current electorate, the voters now casting ballots, mm. with new people, more obedient voters from the third world. Let's just say it, that's mm. true. Jews will not replace us. In 2017, there was a House of Representatives. Uh, dude from Iowa named Steve King, and he tweeted, we can't restore our civilization without somebody else's babies. In 2019, the theory was referenced by a prominent far-right French politician named Marine Le Pen. Tucker Carlson and other Fox News hosts began making repeated references to the replacement theory in their segments on immigration. And I remember the whole build the wall thing and the Haitians in Texas. Can we talk about immigration for just one moment? Well, yeah, this pla- this is a huge factor in the replacement theory. Right. And so let's look at what immig- is there really a problem with immigration? What is immigration look like right now? And why do they think there's a problem? Well, uh, let's break it down. 
Uh, <laughs> here's here's from what I can remember, and I'm sure someone will fact check me on this. Hopefully they will. Do your diligence. To help Tim out so that he doesn't get fact checked by somebody watching or listening to no, the show. No, I want to point out that we're fact checking ourselves like people should do. But he was pretty good about this. This legislation regarding the 3% law uh, restricted new immigration to 3% of the number of residents per year from their country of origin already living in the United States. The 1910 census would be used to determine who was already here. This means that if there were 10,000 Italians in the census, only 300 per year could enter. Mamma mia. Yeah. We made it in. We did. The United States, after like World War One or World War Two, I think it was World War One, uh, was getting a big influx of immigrants from like Germany and Europe and all that. So we had a lot of immigrants coming in. Uh, people didn't like that, so they passed this law called the Three Percent Law, or I'm sure it had some other name, but it was the Three Percent Law, which means three percent of the immigrants coming in can only—that's how much you get for your country, like three percent of the whole immigration to the United States can only be from one country. You can't have more. Uh, and so what that did is it limited the amount of immigrants coming in from Europe at the time because of the wars and such. I think like the 60s, uh, the president at the time, I guess, would be Reagan. In the 60s? He Who, was 80s. 60s 80. was John F. Kennedy, Lyndon B. Johnson, uh, Richard Nixon. Maybe it was Nixon. It might have been Nixon. Somebody... The Immigration and Naturalization Act of 1965 abolished the earlier quota system based on national origin and established a new immigration policy. It was President Lyndon B. Johnson who signed it into law. Symbolically got rid of the law. But here's the thing. We had uh, this influx of immigrants that was uh needed from europe and that need went down as, over time right because there was no more fighting and there were no more refugees and no more need for immigration but it flared up down in south america right we had violence in venezuela violence in honduras violence you know all over the place down there and so the 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 need the the immigrant need shifted from european to south american it's the same amount just from a different location but since we got rid of that 3% rule, now we don't have a limit on how many immigrants we take from each individual country. And that's where we get this influx of immigrants because all of a sudden we see uh, a huge group coming and it's like we no longer can limit them to just say 3%. It's, sure, come on in. Uh, that makes sense. Which is the way it should be from my perspective. I mean, it's funny that you see all these people talking about, you know, how we have this huge immigration problem, yet we go to Red Robin and they can't keep an employee longer than two weeks. After working in the restaurant industry for so many years, I now understand when they say that there are certain jobs that white people just won't do, and it's true. Right. The the busting of the tables, the the, the gardening the taking care of the babies, you know, the, the labor, just, I get it. And people from South America are very hardworking people and they're very family-based, community-based. That's their heart. That's their gold, their culture. Right. And they take care of each other. How many people have you known that were Hispanic that would make money here and send it back to Mexico? 
Well, it's a different culture, right? Totally. No wonder with uh, the extreme conservative media and scaring people with the people coming over our border, they're rapists, they're murderers. Thank you, President Trump. You know, no wonder things like critical race theory have become another rallying cry, another platform, another hot button, hot topic. Right. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. Well, you look at, like, what President Trump did, Donald Trump. I hate saying President Trump. President Pussy Grabber is what I should call him because that's, yeah, because that's what we allow, right? President Pussy Grabber did a lot of bad things for immigrants. He built a wall that was just a waste of money and time. Right. And, and who was pocketing that money? Right. Steve Bannon. Right. Right. Oh, gosh. So that, and then they passed all these immigration laws, and it was that was a rallying cry for the last thing, and they did something about it, and it was kind of a disaster, to be honest with you. So now they need something else to latch onto that's going to be the driving force behind their next election thing, and it's critical race theory because think yes. of the children. Yes, we got to protect them. We had to protect the children. Skylar, Destiny, Bella. Do you think that there should be rules about what is taught in school? Oh, absolutely. Like, what wouldn't you like to because see taught in school? there's critical just, race theory. Yeah, that critical race theory, as soon as I heard about that, I'm like, why are we doing this? What is, what is critical race theory? I, I don't know. I haven't. Right. So now we have critical race theory laws that have been passed. Yeah, so here are some examples. Governor Yunkin in Virginia used critical race theory as a platform to get votes and called it an excellence in education, which is stupid because how is that making your... I mean, I get it. I get what he's doing there. He's saying, look, we're making our education excellent by getting rid of critical race theory because it's damaging our kids and we're going to teach you know, the right history. Uh, and of course he won. Uh, and as soon as he did, he ordered the Department of Education to, con- to conduct a review and he even started a hotline so, uh, oh my God, did he really? He started yes. a hotline so aggravated parents could call and provide tips and examples of its implementation in the classroom. I'd be fucked. I'd be absolutely <laughs> fucked. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. I am so political in my classroom. And it's not Republican or Democrat. It's just pointing out the bullshit. <laughs> and the problem is, is a lot of the bullshit <laughs> on the right. I mean, there's bullshit on the left too. But holy cow. I mean... Literally, holy cow, it's squatting on us and shit all over the place with the Republican Party. That's a lot of swear words. So to not anger any white privileged parents, you have to teach Caitlin and Destiny and Bella that some slavery was not so bad. Well, it's not not so bad. The the I think the idea is they want you to approach it from all the perspectives. Slavery is what built this country, and without it, we wouldn't have all of these things, right? Some people would disagree with you on that, based on its merit. Uh, it built the cotton industry. It did. Oh, sure, it built the cotton industry. Yeah. What about the tobacco industry? Exactly. You know, uh, but the industry still thrived long after the abolition. Right. Long after... It still thrived after... It's still long... It's still... The cotton and tobacco industry still thrived after the Civil War and after Abraham Lincoln uh, abolished slavery. Right. It didn't end because slavery ended. They just had to pay their employees 
a, a fair wage, but it wasn't fair. Right, but but they were no longer being whipped and murdered and killed and right. But one might raped. say and, that it was the fact that that we went through that whole process that was 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 able to be our origin. But the problem is, is that if we focus on that as our origin, we look terrible. So let's just say that Abe Lincoln freed the slaves. Moving on the to end. World War One. Yeah. Bypassing Juneteenth, like my education. Right. I had no idea Juneteenth was a thing. Right. Yes. Same here. It doesn't matter that critical race theory is taught at the college level. Conservatives are using it as a fear-mongering platform. Well, yeah. In Tennessee, for example, lawmakers have banned any instructions that make students feel discomfort, guilt, anguish, or another form of psychological distress. So they've banned math. Oh, no. Bella, Caitlin, what are we going to do? I hate that you oh, didn't laugh at my joke. It destiny. was so good. It was funny, but I'm Oh no, we got to protect we got to protect the children. Right. They, they can't. They don't have any responsibility with what happened 200 years ago. Why should they feel guilty? Well, what it's the problem is is that you can you can argue that any instruction is going to make a student feel that because discomfort and anguish are and psychological distress are, are three cornerstones of learning. Well, that's school in right. general. Look what happened to me last term at Portland State. I was nearly broken down because of the discomfort I was feeling right. by being a middle-aged man returning to academia. That is true. In Florida. Oh, DeSantis. He signed the Individual Freedom Measure, which banned educators from teaching certain topics related to race and designed, in part, to prevent teachers from making students feel guilt or shame about their race because of historical events. Uh, and again, why are we assuming like that kids are feeling this overwhelming guilt? What's the most important issue in the governor's race here in Virginia? Getting back to the basics of teaching children, not teaching them critical race theory. And, uh, and, and what is critical race theory? Well, I'm not going to get into the specifics of it because I don't understand it that much. But it's something that I don't, the, what little bit that I know I don't care for. And, and what have you heard that, that you don't, well, that you I'm don't not, like? Well, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I don't... Uh, I don't I don't have that much knowledge on it, but okay. it's something that I'm not that I don't care for. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't think they are. I didn't when I was learning about slavery in high school. Right. Because there were good people that were Caucasian, the abolitionists, that helped. There were numerous Caucasians that helped and contributed to the the freedom of slaves. It's to be celebrated that people that were different colors were participating and died in the North versus South in the Civil War so that they could be freed. Mm -hmm. So that's, they are to be celebrated. They're heroes. The South put up the statues of their Southern well, heroes. Whoa, 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 whoa. The Civil War was about states' rights, not about slavery. It depends on how you look at it. That's right. It's about the lens, right? So again, going back to this, it was it's all not, about okay. It was we could about, talk. Okay. We could talk about <laughs> facts. We could talk about anything we want. But at the end of the day, and I want to bring us back you because want to talk about states' rights. 
money. But, but I want to come back. Right. But I want to come back to what we're talking about here because 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 we're getting into all the little history details. The history doesn't matter. They don't want to teach the history because you're right. It's about control. Right. And it's about money and it's about keeping them in power so they can keep making money. So when it comes to critical race theory, I don't really think that anybody knows what it is. (laughs) Hear me out. Right. Hear me out. I was watching while I was doing research. This guy. I don't know his name. I don't care to know his name. I just know he's full of shit. And here's why. Because he w- he 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 took critical race theory and he meshed it in and he might be right historically who knows but within things like Marxism and socialism and the Soviet Union and all this terrible stuff that makes it sound really terrifying. And then he comes in and says and here are some examples. And we can say we can recognize he says this we can recognize that there's still some systemic problems in our community that put uh, people of color at a disadvantage but we can't ignore that critical race theory always also does this and this and this so we have to get rid of it all and then he uses some examples of how it's being taught now and he gives uh, an example of a third grade class and we can pull them up somewhere. A third grade class where the teacher had the the students break down their uh, race and sexual identity and then rate themselves according to their race and sexual identity. And now that's a bit extreme. And I can understand that. But that's been around for a very long time. Even in my Catholic school, I remember in first grade my teacher doing not the exact same lesson, but a very similar one, where we all looked at the color of our eyes, mainly because we had no black people in my class. Uh, And those with brown eyes had to go to one side of the room, and those with blue eyes were on the other side of the room, and those with the blue eyes and the green eyes and some of the other colors, they got cupcakes. In 1992, Jane Elliott uh, was a prominent educator, anti-racist activist, and she uh, went on the Oprah Winfrey show to demonstrate her lesson where she uh, separates the audience by eye color, brown eye versus blue eye. It just shows how easy it is to teach prejudice in, in a simple sitting, in a simple way. And I remember that being done to me when I was in first grade. I want every white person in this room who would be happy to be treated as this society in general treats our citizens, our black citizens. If you, as a white person, would be happy to receive the same treatment that our black citizens do in this society, please stand. You didn't understand the directions. If you white folks want to be treated the way blacks are in this society, stand. Nobody's standing here. That says very plainly that you know what's happening You know you don't want it for you. I want to know why you're so willing to accept it or to allow it to happen for others. And so this lesson that they're all freaking out about, which, yeah, maybe it's a bit extreme, uh, is nothing new. It's the same same story, same thing. So this guy, uh, he takes critical race theory and says that critical race theory, by its principle, says that the United States 
is in, is not redeemable and it has to be replaced through economic and social reform, so on and so forth. And that's a problem. Okay, so let's play this clip. Okay, let's play this clip. This video clip is by Christopher Rufo, who is a writer, filmmaker, and political activist. He has directed documentaries for PBS, Netflix, and continues to cover critical race theory, poverty, homelessness, addiction, crime, and other afflictions. Many liberals, moderates, and conservatives have failed to separate critical race theory's premise from its conclusion. The premise of critical race theory is quite simple. America has a history of slavery, racism, and injustice, and we should examine the relationship between racism, power, and society. This is undoubtedly true. Nobody taking an honest look at American history could deny it. But the critical race theorist's conclusion that the American regime is irredeemably racist and must be overthrown through moral, political, and economic revolution is false. But the critical race theorists use their premise as a bludgeon, bullying people into accepting their conclusions. This is dishonest and manipulative. So what he did there is he attached the extreme to the many. He said, here is the first part of the Marxism, and then once people believe that, most often they believe that then the government needs to be overthrown by whatever has to be replaced. There's It connects everybody or most people to the extreme, and that's just not it. But uh, that happens on the left, too. But also the problem is is that uh, the extreme is becoming you know, a little more normal. And so we wind up with like MAGA situations, right? And so you have to wonder, maybe the right extreme is a little too extreme and they're maybe doing a little damage. Rick Scott of Florida proposed a plan. I, I wish I had enough copies to hand, but go online and look at it. I really mean this, it's serious because you're gonna make it, you're gonna be hard for you to believe. Propose a plan requiring Congress to vote on the future of Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid every five years. Starting today on this February 1st, small amounts of illegal drugs will now be criminalized in the state of Oregon. And this is because of Measure 110. Voters passed it in November. Selling and manufacturing drugs is still illegal, but starting today, if someone is caught with small amounts of drugs like heroin and cocaine, they will only get a ticket that comes with a $100 fine. Right. Right. What do we know now that we didn't know back then that changes our views of how we behaved back then and makes our community better now by changing those behaviors? That's the difference between a conservative and a progressive. I don't want to say a conservative and a Democrat because that's not what it is. A conservative wants to keep those values and not change the past and how we got there. They want to keep what we had because it's working for them. The progressive idea says we're going to look at the past and examine what we did, what worked, but who got hurt and how can we fix it so that we're not causing harm to any communities, I suppose. Right. I mean, that's the general idea. That's what we want to teach our children, at least I hope. But then you have these crazies on the right that say, make your men monsters, make your little boys monsters, teach them to be assholes, teach them to be, ah, teach them to fight. And it's just like, why? Why do we need so much aggression? Why do we have so much white fragility? What is going on, Rick? And the white rage. What's going on with white rage? Why do we need white rage? Uh, I really like what our local news is doing. They're breaking down 
the and fact checking the political ads. Some of them are really extreme. They talk about Christine Dreys and how she's backed by the right wing Republican militias and she's a Trumpy and things that. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff in there is just reaching, reaching really far. And I know that. But I'm so bombarded by these commercials. And it's the same with on the other side, the ones going against Tina Kotek, right? A lot of those claims are just reaching out, right? Reaching and saying, well, maybe if you make this connection, maybe you can deduce this. Right. And it's just so much bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. And then you turn on to Fox News and MSNBC and CNN, and it's the same bullshit 24-7. On a global scale. On a global yeah. scale. National, all the time. So we, we wonder... Like how much of the extremes and how much of these problems are being exacerbated by the media and because that's what sells. Right, extremes. Extremes. Sell. And that's what people are gravitating towards at this point because it's so accessible. One more thing Ron DeSantis did, and let's not forget that he did this because it's just ridiculous. This discussion continues in part two. Okay, so on this episode of Let's Trigger Richter, racism ended with MLK Day. Do you think that racism ended with MLK Day, with, with, with Martin Luther King? There's no more racism. No? I watch Fox News. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's why we need to have critical race theory. Hmm. Not have critical race theory. Right. No, I, I, racism will be here long after we are. Sure. It always will be. Yeah, and that sucks. Sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in the United States, it's white against any person of color. Yes. And gender. Yes. And pronouns. What I hate about racism, yes, it is taught and nurtured. Mm -hmm. Starting at home and then with peer groups. Sure. And bigger circles. Exactly. No, no. It's bullshit. You see that, don't you? Yeah. You gotta watch out for that. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. I will. Good boy. Proud of you. Yeah, don't worry about it. When it comes to the N-word, when it's, as you talk about it, I guess, kids use it with the uh, and if you end it with the hard R, it's hate. Pejoratives like that serve no purpose in bettering yourself well what was the point of the word it was to objectify the people and make them so they're not human and i understand people of color use it quite freely in their music and in their vernacular with their friends and family and that is their right i would never correct a person (laughs) of color from saying you can't say that with the uh or the er no 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 as a gay man i say F-A-G a lot when I'm angry and at my straight friends. Yeah, <laughs> never, you say it to me a lot. Never to my gay friends. My gay friends, I call them bitch or girl. Gay jargon. Sure. I use the F-A-G word. I flip it and reverse it and throw it back in a fun, playful manner. Is that right? No. 
you know, it's it's and no, my and, my my thing with it is is what it comes down to is any when you give something a name that isn't what it is when you give it you know a, a different identity you're dehumanizing it right so the use of the n word uh the use of the b word uh any any sort of word that that objectifies somebody makes them no longer human and right. what do we do what's easy to do with objects destroy yeah throw break away them. Break them up, break them apart, and so that's my issue with with that whole thing. And I think all of the hate and stuff will still persist as long as we're objectifying people and assigning them names. So, sure, uh, the N word is is their word. Well, uh, how many? And I'm people... not going to to have uh, an opinion on whether or not they should use it. I'm just going to have the the same opinion I have with any sort of word that objectifies anybody, and say if you're objectifying somebody then you're dehumanizing them and it makes it easier to just discard them. So that's what you're doing. That's the intent. If you ever hear a student use that word... I hear it all the time. Possibly use this method in teaching them an alternative to using it. This is my suggestion, if I have one. Okay. I try to live by this. I don't always... It's like having a relationship with God. You have to work at it every single day. It's like a relationship with your wife. You work at it every single day. And being a better person and not choosing not to use the F-A-G word or the N-word is to be a better person. And it takes work. You're just not a better person overnight. You got to work at it and keep in mind the, the pain it has caused. How many people My have died? My students don't care. The reason people are concerned about the words they use, the reason Americans care about civil rights, the reason we are sensitive to racism is for one issue and one issue only, and that is how black Americans were treated in this country. It is because of, of the legacy of slavery and Jim Crow. Those do not compare Irish, you know, the new groups, they always get a little bad treatment. Do not compare that to how blacks are treated in this country. You don't get to piggyback on the black experience in America. How many people have died Hearing that as the last word, as the last thing they're Probably called. Probably a lot. Thousands. Mm-hmm. Both F-A-G, mm-hmm. the B word when it comes mm-hmm. to women, the C word when it comes mm-hmm. to women, and, you know, the N word when it comes to our people you know, of color. So, Maya Angelou is one of my personal mentors in life. And she says, words are things. They get into your upholstery, Mm -hmm. your hair, and eventually into you. And it's true because you never forget how a person makes you feel. Right. Words are things, I'm convinced. You must be careful about the words you use or the words you allow to be used in your house. In the Old Testament, we are told in Genesis that in the beginning was the word. And the word was God, and the word was with God. That's in Genesis. Words are things. You must be careful. Careful about calling people out of their names, using racial pejoratives and sexual pejoratives and all that ignorance. Don't do that. Someday we'll be able to measure the power of words. I think they are things. I think they get on the walls. They get in your wallpaper. They get in your rugs, in your upholstery, 
and your clothes and finding the end to you. So the end of the day, uh, no, racism did not end with him. Okay, it's still here and it will always be here. She came and rang the bell and I opened the door and she said, Sister Martin Luther King is dead. I fell. I fell into a depression I'd never known before. What on earth had happened to my country? Thank you for listening. We here at Break It Down with Rick and Tim realize that some of these topics are very hard and difficult to talk about and to listen to. It's also important to realize that by turning the blind eye and not discussing these things, we're turning away from the light. And the only thing that can defeat the darkness is light. Be light. Give and receive love. And on that note, you can check us out on YouTube and our website, breakitdownwithrickandtim.com. See you next time.